Coming up on Art Palace. No one is normal, and therefore when you're different, you're just another kind of different. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Joel Lamb, a local burner and board member for Cincinnati Pride. This episode was recorded live as one of our gallery experiences with a small group of visitors. My name is Russell. I'm the Associate Director of Interpretive Programming here at the museum. Um, and today's conversation is about Playa Pride. So this is uh, Pride Month, so June is the kickoff of that. So it's only second day. And uh, we wanted to talk about this aspect of Burning Man, which you know, we know a lot of people might not be aware of that aspect of it. So we kind of put out a call to other burners in the area um, just to see who wanted to come and chat with us about it. And Joel here uh, replied. (laughs) And so he is going to be help uh, talk with us today. So Joel, why don't you let us know a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Joel and Russell. Thank you for uh, having us and or having me and having uh, this event. Um, So uh, my name is Joel. I live here in Cincinnati. I've been a resident of Cincinnati for about five years. I work for a retail um, company, department store, and I work up in Mason. I oversee the offshore call centers. Um, I've been burning for about six years now. I've been to Burning Man twice now. The big burn is what we call it. Um, and I have been to regional Burning Man events for about six years. This past one, which was this past weekend on Memorial Day, I believe was about my 15th burn that I've been to or Burning Man event that I've been to. Um, in Burning Man, we have, I guess what you can call nicknames or burner names. So the community, people in the community call me Stuck Truck. That's my Burning Man name. And we all sort of earn our names in a certain way. It's just like you would earn a nickname in, in other ways. Um, the way I earned my name is that I am an artist in the community. Um, in the community, different people, you find a different place. Some people are performers. They do fire, what's called flow, you know, fire twirlers and spinners. Some people are musicians. Some people are makers. I find home mostly in the artist world, and I bring a lot of art. So about five years ago, I brought a U-Haul truck with all of my art, and it rained a lot. It was very muddy, and my truck got stuck, and I had to get the entire community to help me move my truck. And then as soon as it got going out of the mud, it got stuck again. So I had to call them all back, like, I need some more help. And then it got stuck again and again and again. So they call me Stuck Truck now. So So thanks for having me. I was a little curious about the burner nicknames because I've been hearing a lot of them since we've had the exhibition up. And uh, I I mean, obviously you got to earn it like any, any nickname, but what's, is there like a time limit? Like you got to earn it by, can you go through multiple burns and just not have a nickname? And then one day you just get it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, okay. we have a member, so I'm part of what's called a theme camp, a group of people who camp together, and we usually have a specific theme. Um, so a member of my theme camp, she self-named herself about five years ago, okay. and only recently after this past weekend realized that you know she didn't feel correct in self-naming herself, so now has rescinded her burner name and um, is looking on the look for a new one. So some people go 
years without a burner name. Some people just aren't nickname kind of people. I actually don't have any other nicknames beyond my burner name. <laughs> right. So some people never get a burner name. Some people get one within hours. Um, it's all based off of the event and the in the moment that someone says like, oh, you're wearing red, red tie guy. Okay, you're red tie now. And that's your name. Um, it just depends. And it's just kind of the... I don't know, the masses just kind of decide that that's right or or it's like any nickname, it has to stick, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, it really depends because sometimes, like for me, I did not like my burner name for a while and it took me a few <laughs> years, uh, but people just kind of <laughs> latched onto it and wouldn't stop using it. And now I'm actually going to love it. But um, for the most part, it really depends on who's around when you make the burner name. I'll give you an example. There was a first time burner, what we call a virgin, a virgin burner. And, um, she actually came within by the third day had developed the name Firefly. And that's what people call her because when she came, she learned about the gifting culture and she thought what I, what she'll gift is shots of fireball. So she, people would be walking by and she'd be like, Hey, do you want a shot of fireball? And she'd come over and people would chat, and that's how she got to meet people. Um, apparently I guess she was, they were doing shots of fireball at nighttime and there are fireflies where we camp at the regional burns. It's beautiful. And you see these little specks of light going on and off. And someone just said like, you're just like a firefly. You give us these fireball stuff. And that's how she got her name. So, so within a few days she had a name as well. And that's, um, you know, it's all based off of who's there. It's in the moment, something unique that happens. And someone says, we should call you blank. And it sticks. Well, I'm a little curious about the folks here. Do you have any other questions about, like, just what Burning Man is? Or is everyone pretty well informed about it? Or you look like you're making big, head-shaky, no-no faces. I just know the general population of art in the desert and a giving community. So I love these stories. Yeah. So you, I feel like you've got a pretty good idea about what it is, though. So, I mean, a lot of people I hear, people assume it's like a music festival. That's a big one that I, I've heard um, people kind of assuming that it's like a Coachella or something like that. And it's definitely not that. Um, in fact, I, I was talking with a burner recently, and she was telling me how you they're very strict about you cannot promote performances before, like, I don't know what the rules are, but, like, you're not allowed to put out, like, this person is going to play at Burning Man at this time in this place months in advance or anything. It kind of has to be a little bit of a surprise. So there are certainly musical performances and things that happen, but they're not promoted in the way you might expect at a music festival. Everyone there will say, it's not a festival. Don't call it a festival. It's kind of like when you're on a cruise and someone says, it's not a boat, it's a ship, or it's not a ship, it's a boat. You're not supposed to call it one over the other. Same thing for Burning Man. It's not a festival. And, and what I've, for me, what that means and what I've learned that it means is um, at a festival, you go and you go to consume entertainment, like a music festival, for example. You show up and you just get the music, you get the music. At our festival, you show up and you get the art, you get the art, you kind of consume it. But Burning Man is about participation and con contribution. So there is not one single focus where you're going there to do that and consume it. You're going there to contribute and to see what other people are contributing. So when you think about like Daft Punk is one of the bigger names that just randomly shows up at Burning Man and performs. They don't announce that because they don't want it to turn into a festival where I'm here for Daft Punk. It's like, no, that's not why you should be here. So um, so that's kind of the difference or, you know, the uniqueness of Burning Man for me. Yeah. And I think the other thing maybe to talk about is like the scale 
of the of of the big burn um because and that's another thing you were just talking about is there are smaller regional burns that happen around the country so there's ones in ohio and nearby states um but you know the big burn is massive so for the during that week the burning man event is start it really ends on labor day and it starts really pretty much the weekend before so it runs for about 10 days long during those 10 days Black Rock City, which is where Burning Man occurs, becomes the third largest city in the state of Nevada. So there's Las Vegas, there's Reno, and then there's Black Rock City, Burning Man. So for those for that week, sixty thousand plus people are there. They turn a empty, desolate desert into a legitimately operating city. It's phenomenal. They've got not a hospital, but you know, medics, they've got doctors, they've got firefighters, they've got police-ish kind of people there. <laughs> um, it's really an operating city. They have a city center. They kind of have a city hall-ish. They've got streets, they've got lights, they've got all kinds of odd things as well. So it really is a, a massive, massive city that pops up for a week. And then if you were to go there a month later, you would not know that that had ever even happened. There'd be no trace. One of the principles leave no trace. So you'd absolutely not know that that was there. So tell me more massive. about police ish. So police ish, um, Bernie man doesn't have like an authority figure, let's say where we, where there's, you know, the festival guards are here and they're going to kick you out necessarily. They're, that kind of does exist, but there really is not an authority figure because it's meant to be the community coming together and, working together and building it. Now, we do have, we, the Burning Man community, um, there's federal agents who go and show up looking for drugs and looking for all these other nefarious behaviors and things like that. But in general, officially, there's really no authority figure. There's no one who says, move your tent over here, go this way, do this, you're misbehaving. There's no one who really does that. There are a group of people who are volunteers called rangers and the way that rangers, I view rangers and the way it's really explained to people is that they are your friend who help you make a good decision. <laughs> so if you are maybe intoxicated and you're saying inappropriate things to someone else, maybe a lady who's walking by or a guy, um, a ranger will be like, hey, friend, how's it going? How are you doing? What are you up to? Why are you doing that? How do you feel? How do you think people feel when you do that? You know, they don't they don't come and scold you about it. They don't go and take you to Burning Man jail if you're misbehaving and things like that. Right. So. Well, that makes a lot of sense. The word's actually a perfect fit because it's like you think of a park ranger and it's a similar level of authority where you don't really you're not really worried about what the park ranger's going to do to you, but they're just there to kind of like make sure everything's running smoothly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, you just said a lady or a guy. Um, so since this is sort of why we're here, I, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about how Burning Man is inclusive of LGBT people and your experience with that. And, you know, obviously you are just one person. So I, you know, I don't think you, we need to really preface that too much, but you know, obviously experiences may vary. You got it. Well, let me go back to introduce myself. So, uh, I am, uh, I'm gay. And I'm also on the board of Cincinnati Pride. We put on the Pride Festival, the Pride Parade, June 22nd, Saturday. Come join us if you can. And um, so I'm very involved in the LGBT community, I would say. I will say from a Burning Man perspective, the experience is very less than what it is here in what we call like the default world, the regular world. And the reason is that being gay there is not like a thing. It's just kind of like 
absolutely normal. No one is normal, and therefore when you're different, you're just another kind of different. So there isn't a deep-seated need to tell everyone, this is my personal experience, to say, like, by the way, I'm gay. By the way, I'm gay. By the way, where's the gay safe space? Where, you know, right. you know, there's nothing like that in Burning Man because everyone is different, and differences are just celebrated like in that. Now, I will say, though, that um, from a trans perspective, I, I'm not, myself, I'm not trans, but the trans community, I've seen a lot more emphasis on ensuring that people, especially who are not burners, are very mindful of trans people. I'll give you an example. At Burning Man, there's a lot of nudity. People walk around naked. It's just a thing. It's not a lustful nudity. It's just like a nudist colony. People are just naked. Like they just, it's hot. It's super hot out over there. People just don't want to wear clothes. That's just how it is. And sometimes there's um, showers, open air showers, where there's literally just a faucet there. And you're like, oh my God, it's so hot. I just want some water. Um, what I've seen recently is that trans people have become, this is my own experience, of my perception, trans people have become much more comfortable in walking around naked. So we, I've personally experienced a lot more emphasis on being open to transgender issues, having sessions at Burning Man, at burning events, talking about trans issues and things like that. At the regional Burning Man event that I just attended, we made, uh, wearing one, um, pronoun buttons. Pronoun button is a button that you wear that says tells your pronouns. It's either he, his, him, or she, his, her, or they, their, their, or ask me my pronouns, which is very important for the trans community because pronouns, to be mispronoun is a very deep, touching thing and meet a, a bad thing for the trans community. So um, so we made 300 of these and there's about 550 people who attended. About 300 of them were wearing pronoun buttons and understood the, the importance of it. So, nice. so going back to the question about uh, LGBT experience, in some ways it's like not a thing right. because it doesn't need to be a thing. In other ways it's evolving and still being much more inclusive day to day. Yeah. How long have you been involved in it from start to, to now? I know you said you went to the, the big burn twice, but, you know, including all your regional burns, how long have you been a part of it? My first burn um, was in the spring of 2014. So okay. it's been actually now five years. Okay. Have you seen any, like, changes in that aspects of it over that time? Um, yeah, it's actually blown up. Um, the, I'll give an example. The regional Bernie Man, um, one of them that I, event that I go to, it has since in the five years that I've been there doubled in size as far as attendees. And the mix of attendees has really changed in that more than half of them are brand new people who don't really know anything about Bernie Man. They're like have a friend who came, they kind of don't know. Whereas when I went, it was very small, about 250 people. And it was people who had been burning for like 10 years. So the the demographics of Burning Man have changed. Um, I first went to the Big Burn in 2014, and it was the same thing. Um, five years earlier, I think that it was like 40,000 people, maybe 30,000 people. So Burning Man itself also is growing in size quickly, which means that in the community there's been a interesting dynamic about how to incorporate and indoctrinate the newbies so that they don't avoid some kind of bad behavior that's looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was curious too, is like, do you find that the community as a whole is like equally friendly to queer people in the sort of regional to national burn? Or is like, is it pretty similar vibe just based on the, everybody following the, the principles essentially? It's generally the same vibe, but the, the thing is with the big burn, it is so big and it is a city. So just like any other big city, you find there's a, the, the queer gay neighborhood with in the Big Burn, we call it the Gayborhood. So in the Gayborhood, I forget what it was, like five, 
530 and E Street is where like the neighborhood is at. So there are theme camps that are specifically gay people and gay oriented and they're all like clubs and but they have other things like that. But um there is um at the bigger burn there are very specific gay oriented places whereas at the smaller burns it's just smaller. So there's it's not like there's the gay camp right there. It's just gay people are just kind of sprinkled around everywhere. Right. Yeah. I think I had seen a kind of, I mean, I, who knows what this kind of statistic was and I'm, I don't know like how to quote it, but, um, something about just like the sort of how, how do burners identify and like a pretty shockingly large margin of them identify as something other than straight basically, which I thought was really interesting. Like that, and it makes a lot of sense to me just based on um, the principles of radical inclusion that that would attract a lot of people who think of themselves maybe in other ways, even if maybe other people don't. I don't know. You know, what's interesting is that there are a lot of non-straight people at Burning Man, especially as a proportion of like the general society. Right. But what I find is that is there's a lot of straight people there as well. But I can't tell who's straight or gay because like the rainbow flag, for example, people just wear the rainbow flag because they like it. Right. They just like rainbows and stuff. People act, they don't, when they're at Burning Man, they don't worry about, especially men, about their masculinity. It's very common to see two guys holding hands, but they're, they themselves don't identify as being gay. They both have like wives and they don't like, you know, hook up with each other, you know. So it's a very interesting dynamic where, um, the, the kinds of things here that help to identify and distinguish those populations sort of fall by the wayside there. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like um, when you're talking about sort of the way people present, we perceive men wearing less clothes as more gay. That, so that makes a lot of sense when you're describing how much nudity there already is. And just in the sort of like flamboyant dress, another thing that is traditionally like aligned with queer culture is like, oh, you're dressing brightly and things that are not in this like super buttoned down way of like this is a perceived masculinity or femininity. Um so the the fact that Burning Man has so much like of in its fashion that lets people present in all these different ways that also does just like stir the pot to where it's like I don't even know anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. That's what Burning Man is all about. Is about kind of trying new things, testing your limits, finding your boundaries of things. I mean, it's very common. I have a campmate who is very very straight, and he identifies as straight. He has a girlfriend who goes along, now a wife with kids, and. Um, he found through Burning Man that he just loves wearing dresses. He just does, and um, which is viewed obviously very feminine, but he just likes wearing dresses. There are many men who wear kilts. Kilts is like now a thing as well, so because yeah. they're more airy and right. I was better say, for the heat and stuff. There's probably a practicality to yeah. that, right? Like <laughs> so, in the desert, right? Yeah, but what you mentioned is very common, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you guys have any other sort of thoughts or questions? I've picked the exact worst time to ask this because it's really loud. So actually, if you do, I'm going to throw you my mic. You mentioned that you've been burning for several years, so I wonder if you could just, does that mean that you've been engaging in the principles, or can you elaborate on that a little bit, or like what the, the burning lifestyle is? Sure. Um, it's kind of an evolution. I'm, I'm definitely not all the way there yet myself, but um, when I say I'm bur- I've been burning, that means attending events. I've been attending events is what I've been burning means. Um, but what I find and what most people find is that in order to attend these events consistently, it requires a lot of equipment. It requires, you know, tent, camping equipment for sure. It requires artsy equipment. It requires a plethora of different kinds of 
attire for different temperatures because the temperatures vary drastically. So there's just a lot of things that are needed, um, which then start to take up space in your default world life, which then start to take up your life as well. So what I've noticed is people who have been burning for a very long time, pretty much it becomes their life and they just start dressing like this, like that's just who they are, you know? Um, so I've been, when I say I'm burning, I, I mean attending events, but for a lot of people, it's living the lifestyle, living the principles. And part of that is being nomadic. Part of that is being the 10 principles of leave no trace. So most people that have been burning for many years, we don't, like throw stuff away anymore like we don't use trash cans you know we're very mindful of waste and so we don't use like single-use water bottles we you know it's what i've noticed a common theme in people who have been engaged in this event for a while so yeah and the last podcast I recorded with two other burners, one uh, guy was talking about his, I think his first burn, he wanted to give out candy as a gift and just to have to give to people. And he chose a candy that was wrapped the first year and realized like it made him very conscious of that like mistake basically, because then everybody he was giving something to was producing a piece of waste that he then had to take care of. So he brought also, he had a little like pouch or something that he would take the paper from them after they unwrapped it and make sure it went back with him. Um, but then the next year he wanted to do that again. And so he chose something that was not wrapped so that he wouldn't have to consider that. So it's like thinking that way, but on like every level. <laughs> yeah. It starts with the small things that you start to notice and people start to mention to you, but little by little, the small changes in your life start to add up to big changes in your life and how you perceive the world, how you interact with people and things like that as well. So I, I will give you a quick example of um, one of the other principles, radical self-expression. So a lot of people don't really know what that means. And, be, and the reason is because I find it means very different things for many different people. So some people um, have a lot of anxiety that go to Burning Man events, for, you know, which is kind of odd if you think about it. They are afraid of crowds, and yet they go to an event that is purposely, you're stuck with crowds. There's no cell phone reception. There's no way to get out. It's hot, you know. Um, but for some people, self radical self-expression is about just communicating and actually introducing yourself, which is a big step for some people to go up to a stranger and introduce yourself. Other people view radical self-expression as... I just want to be without my clothes because it's scary and I feel embarrassed to buy my body and I'm overweight and, uh, you know, I don't have a model perfect body. So they self-express through nudity and stuff. So there's a lot of the 10 principles manifest themselves in many different ways for many different people. It's interesting to see how that comes about. Um, another person with radical self-expression is about just loves doing poetry and so they'll just stand, I guess, outside in, I guess you can call it the street and just belt out their poetry just because they've only they've never shared it with anyone before they've always been afraid of it of you know sharing it expressing it with anyone so it's interesting to see how those things kind of come across yeah the idea of the the like anxiety of interacting with people came up when we were dealing with one of the exhibition well one of the pieces in the exhibition the capitol theater um the artist would like to have volunteer ticket takers working um in the in the piece as much as possible and so what that means is in the spirit of burning man too that you know to get a ticket it's there's no currency exchanged but they're supposed to sort of give a gift of like a song or a dance or a story or something like that to be given a ticket to the theater. So, you know, we had a lot of debate in the museum amongst ourselves of like, 
how far can we push people in this way? Because of course we're trying to exp- we're trying to express this thing that is authentically a part of the Burning Man experience, but yet we also know you're still in this museum where people don't traditionally come for that experience, and so. You know, the show is called No Spectators, but we still are going to have plenty of spectators. In fact, most of what we do here is spectating. Like, it's 99% of what we do. And so we're kind of like, well, how how can we sort of comfortably ease people into this? It's like a really, it's, it's a, the show and being in a museum is very, like, strange bedfellows, basically. They, they don't necessarily want to sit together well. So it takes a lot of work to try to, like, make these things jive. <laughs> and I, I, I think the reason for that is that the, uh, the purpose of a museum and the purpose of Burning Man, I'll get to tell you more about this, but it's contradictory in a way. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. And for me, it's because the purpose of a museum is to maintain and protect great pieces of art so that future generations can appreciate them. Burning Man is the exact opposite. One of our principles is, is immediacy, and at the end of the of the event, in general, things go up in fire, and you burn it, and you'll never see it again. In in general, um, so for for me, the, what I love about Burning Man is the art is meant to be touched because you don't have to preserve it for the future generations. You can put your greasy fingerprints on it, and that's okay. A, another sort of weird way, like the worlds do not necessarily jive together is that a museum by definition is about somebody saying yes that is in no that is not yes this is in no that is not so everything in the building somebody has made a choice both whether to accept it into the collection that's one level of the yes, no, the curatorial process is all about somebody saying, yes, this deserves to be here. No, this does not. And then in the exhibition of it. So this room we're sitting in, everybody, somebody made a choice about every one of these artworks that it should be in here at this time. Um, some of those are practical. This is really big. Nobody wants to move it. Some of them are, you know, some of those are um, about preference of what somebody thinks is historically important, you know? So that is the premise of a museum. And an exhibition is also like that. Somebody is saying, yes, this is in, no, this is not. But Burning Man is not like that. Burning Man is based on, like you said, you can do what you want, basically. So, I mean, is that your experience, too, with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think about my art. I mean, we do have uh, a general organization. There's a coordinator of art who brings in, and there's also art grants where you can get funding for art. But I also often bring rogue art, which is uncoordinated. Uh, I didn't tell anyone in advance that I was bringing it. I just brought it, set it up. It's six, you know, uh, six feet to eight feet tall. It's a big old thing. No one knew it was going to be there, and it just is. So, um, yeah, that's actually very common in, um, in the Burning Man culture. You just bring what you want and contribute however you choose to contribute. Yeah. So, and I mean, even, um, you know, that sort of saying this is in here, this is in here. An exhibition is always by just by definition, a collection of a limited number of things. And so because of that, it casts a certain image of that thing too. So I know when I was reading sort of burner responses to this exhibition, when it was at the Renwick, you know, there were people who were saying things that I think are probably very true. Like this exhibition doesn't feel like it doesn't have the silliness uh, that they might be used to at Burning Man. Like there's maybe a lack of playfulness that they feel is a part of the culture. And it's like, yeah, that's probably just by the nature of what was selected to be in that, you know, they, somebody could have 
put things that felt more silly and playful. I would say I, I feel like the Capitol Theater is pretty playful, but it maybe is not in the same way they were meaning, you know, and, and maybe in, in things that are also a little more handmade too because that piece is very polished as well so you were you look like you had a question well so i was excited that you brought up the whole point of the dichotomy of burning man from you know the general perspective of what i'd known about it in a museum because to me that's what is courageous about it and what drew me in and i feel like it's very accepting then of like you said the queer culture and the fact of here's this thing that's normally just isolated and these different burning concepts and then it's brought into the bigger area that is sometimes felt as very restrictive and are you accepted, are you not accepted? So I find it very courageous that the Art Museum brought this in and it's going to be baby steps. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, and I think that's that's a very good point of like, I think when you just, what I always think about Burning Man and what I was really curious about it is the principles of it feel very queer in a way of... I'm using queer in the very kind of like academic way of like queer theory when we think about art making and, and, and things that are maybe going against the grain and, and, and whatever is the kind of predominant force in that way. So I think Burning Man is totally working in that way by sort of presenting things that you're the sort of anti-authoritarian way you're talking about it. And it's really tricky because museums are always kind of authoritarian, right? Like, what can we change about our practice to be less authoritarian as, like, museum people, too? Like, it can be really hard just to break out of old habits and to just be like, well, that's all it is. We can't do any other way. And then you're like, well, is it? Maybe there are other ways. Like, what areas are you allowed to be playful in? Is it appropriate if it's a very solemn piece, but maybe it's placed in an area where you could laugh and yeah. be joking? I mean, it's really, like, you know... It's hard to get into those things like where, where you draw the line. I mean, like, how are we tied down by chronology? Like, that is how we traditionally present things, sort of. But, like, we also then feel the need to separate things by countries, kind of, right? Like, you know, there's always times I'm like, oh, I would love to see, like, something from the Asian wing that is really, like, the same time from, like, medieval art, basically, of medieval Europe. But you never see those two things together. So, I mean, those are the kind of ways that, like, tradition has locked museums into, like, how we present things. And so the kind of playfulness of these things, the fact that a lot of them are meant to not last very long, that all sort of goes against that idea, too. So, any other thoughts? You as a gay man, how has that kind of helped people perceive you and kind of look at you? Because I know a lot of my friends are not straight and myself, I am not straight. So I was wondering how has that kind of helped people see you and get to know you? Oh, um, well, I can talk about both worlds, like in the Bernie Man world and then also in the default world. So in the Bernie Man world, it's interesting because I um, came out to them saying like, you know, I've got a partner, I'm gay. And they just kind of like, ignored it almost you know like there's like yeah whatever i don't care right um but what i realized is that my campmates who are now since become very good friends i have to now um every now they say something i have to be like the gay guy who like corrects them about like no that's not what happens on rupaul's drag race and this is what we do you know what i mean like this is who miss vanjie is yeah you know so it's interesting because in my experience in the bernie man world um I've, I've become, in a way, an educator or a bridge to the gay default world um, because they just don't care either way, right? They're just like, oh, oh, you watch RuPaul? Okay, good. Oh, like you're, you're like a 
person. You're not like this yeah. anomaly. Exactly. Yeah. And well, in Burning Man also, there's just so many gay people and so many people were just out and more fluid than like distinctly a label um, that if the, for, I'll talk more about like people who are there for the first time, their eyes are open in that. Oh my gosh, this is a world, an example of a world where it doesn't matter. And they learn how much it actually doesn't matter. So, and they learn to live like that. And I think that they take that home with them to also realize it really doesn't matter. Like it doesn't impact me. It doesn't really impact them, you know? Um, in the, on the reverse side though, being part of burning man has helped me be more comfortable in being super duper out in the default world. In that I like before burning man, I was like, well, wear like a rainbow flag when I'm at pride and all that stuff. But Burning Man has really taught me to be like, I am who I am. This is who I am. I'm not like a rainbow flag waving kind of gay guy, but I'm like super out and I'm very confident and casual in who I am and talk about who I am and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually helped me in both directions. When do you think that change happened and why do you think it happened? I think it actually happened immediately because it was so open at the first Burning Man Mm. regional event that I attended that everyone was just like, be who you are. And that for me was actually a struggle because I took me a while in that event to find out, wait, who am I? Because what you start realizing is how much you focus on how you present yourself and how you correct the authentic version of yourself. Um, so you start thinking about like, wait, do I control my hand motions a lot? And then, because you have to think about what are the guards that I put up in order to present myself the way I want to present myself. So it was pretty, I think, immediate uh, Hmm. as far as realizing when you don't have to do that, you have to start to realize how much have I already ingrained into my own personality of all these different mechanisms. So you think you've pretty successfully sort of shed maybe those instincts, like say when you're, it sounds like you have like a a pretty straightforward office job in your day-to-day life. So do you still like, do you think you find yourself like policing behaviors in any way in that world still? Um, Kind of. I I would say that uh, for me personally, I don't police my behaviors as far as like, I got to act more straight in this uh, meeting and I need to be more dominant and I can't be like, Oh my God, you guys. Right. Um, um, but, uh, so I, now I don't do that. And whereas in the past I would have, but I also feel like uh, a quick side note, Burning Man has taught me how to be very welcoming to people. So when you go to an event, you'll be surprised at how happy everyone is and specifically how happy they are to see you yeah. who they have never met in their life, <laughs> but they're very happy to see you and to get to know you and genuinely care about you in a way. And I've, I, and my other campmates have talked about this, how like when, wherever we are, we, apply that to our world where like, Hey, it's so good to see you. This person that I work with, but I don't really interact with like, Hey, it's good to see you. And we're very welcoming people. So what, um, I don't know. That's one of the other changes I've noticed. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I I hadn't really considered the kind of code switching we do. Um, and the way you can, that burning man could be sort of a liberating, force for that you know i don't know i i I didn't i don't think i police it too much but i totally can think of times when i do like i can totally think of times where i'm like yeah you're butching it up but just a touch here aren't you (laughs) (laughs) like i don't really worry about it all that much but i definitely think about it like occasionally (laughs) like oh yeah like i mean if i talk to a mechanic i'm totally going to be like a little bit more straight (laughs) (laughs) right I can't help myself. I don't know why. Well, if someone wanted to be a first-time 
Burning Man participant or whatever that would be called, maybe. The Burgeon. Well, now there's a new term called a learner burner because apparently virgins and virgins new people don't like that term. <laughs> so <laughs> so now we, we call them learner burners apparently. So yeah. which is which I'm good with. Yeah. yeah. So how do you know what to pack and, mm-hmm. and how to show up and when to show up and, and then yep. whole gifting and how much should you give and sure. is there something in return when someone gives you something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I can talk a little bit about that in that the as far as when to go and where to go, um, if you just go to burningman.org, <laughs> you can find out all about the the big burn, but also they have a link about that connects to regional burns. So regional burns occur throughout the, the globe. The second largest Burning Man event out, um, outside of the big burn is Africa burn, actually. That happens, I think, in South Africa. I'm not really sure where. Um, but there's lots lots of burns everywhere. I will, I'll be in 2020. I'm going to go to Kiwi Burn, which is in New Zealand. It's going to wow. be amazing. Um, so anyhow, the Burning Man webpage can tell you about it. I can speak specifically here in the tri-state area. There is Scorched Nuts, which is on the border of Ohio and Virginia. That happens every Memorial Day. There is Mosaic, which is in the same location, which is in October. Um, coming up, there is Lakes of Fire, which is in up near Detroit. It's about the largest burn in our area. It's about 3,000 people. In July, there's Transformus, which is kind of in Georgia-ish area. That's mid-July. So if you wanted to go to a burn, that's about 1,500 people. So considered a medium-sized burn. Um, But yeah, so anyhow, it's all there. Now, as far as like what to bring and how to prepare, every single Burning Man event has a survival guide is what they call it. So things to pack, things to think about, things to prepare for, and all that stuff. Um, Every location has its own specific intricacies like for example at the burning big burn you're in the desert so you need to prepare for very hot and very cold but dusty as well um the regional burn that i just went to they're in a a band not abandoned but no longer functioning quarry that's where the grass has grown over it and all that stuff so and there's a lot of wind and rain and hail and stuff like that so each event has what's called a survival guide um, Burning Man, I should say, I'm not sure if you mentioned it there, is that even on the ticket still today, it says you might die. So Burning Man is is almost inherently meant to be dangerous in a way. It's definitely meant to be inconvenience, inconvenient to get to because you have to work for it. Um, but they're, they are very dangerous events as well. And that's where the, when you talk about art, um, interacting with art can be very dangerous. Um, so a lot of people, um, try to climb the art and the art falls over and, you know, these are not meant to be temporary things. So they're not bolted down. Um, whereas in the museum, they're very safe, right? You can't touch it. Don't touch you. Don't hurt yourself. Um, so there are these survival guys that you can read as well. Yeah, I've seen lots of images of people like climbing these massive sculptures out in the desert and then heard stories of like, yeah, they had to shut that one down after uh, too many people fell off of it and they had to kind of keep people from climbing it after that. So yeah. I am very proud of that. One of my art installations is still viewed as the da- most dangerous art installation ever at one of our events. <laughs> so, please <laughs> give I'll, more I'll details. You, I'll tell you about it. So there's a, um, a Japanese artist called Yayoi Kusama. She does um, infinity rooms and infinity Infinity room is an enclosed box. Think of a cube and think of you're inside the cube and there's mirrors everywhere above you, below you, beneath you, you know, to the size of you. It's all dark and there are just specks of light, strings of LED lights that uh, shimmer and dim and, and um, things. So when you look at the mirrors, the reflection of the lights reflect from one wall off to the other wall, off to the other wall, creating an infinity 
reflection because it reflects back and back and forth. So one little light can turn into literally a, a million little light specks of light that you're looking at. So I built that um, at a regional burn. It, it was so hot that the adhesives that I used to keep the mirrors onto the walls that I built melted. And so the, oh, no. the glass panes, mirror panes started to fall in people. So, you oh. know, when you think about it, you're sitting down, you're looking in the dark and there's mirrors above you and the mirrors just kind of fall on your head. And then the crack, you know, cause we're made of glass. So, um, oh my gosh. so they had to shut that, that our installation down because it was just too dangerous for people. Um, yeah. But those are the kinds of things that happen at Burning Man. So yeah. Oh yeah. boy. And that's what happens <laughs> when you interact with art, the art also will interact with you. So Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, uh, thank you so much for being our guest today and for chatting with us all. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. The special exhibition on view right now is No Spectators, The Art of Burning Man. If you'd like to be a part of a gallery experience like you heard today, join us on June 23rd at 3 p.m. for Let the Burner Be Your Guide. You'll meet burners and museum staff in the front lobby to be led on a journey through the special exhibition, No Spectators, The Art of Burning Man. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, if you enjoy our show, why not leave us a nice review or rating? Or you can also take the survey, which helps us learn more about our listeners at CincinnatiArtMuseum.org slash podcast. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. 